we get to see the perp walk? Well, welcome to the media insultant. No, we're not consultants. We're media insultants. And we offer all kinds of our opinions on all kinds of things in the media. This week, Ed Stoltz is back in the news, and uh, he's either on the lam or in jail. We'll talk about that. Some new thoughts on the future of Rush and his role within the radio business. iHeart drives a spike through the hearts of their own radio stations. Yeah. I want to hear Keith's thought on that. This is Media Insultant. I'm Jackson Weaver. And my co-host is Keith Samuels. Keith, what is it about Ed, and why is Ed Stoltz continue to be back in the news? Well, good morning, Jackson. He's back in the news because the judge is pissed off at him. Apparently, he wasn't uh, relinquishing his stations or information about his stations that would allow Larry Patrick to operate the stations and continue the process of transferring ownership of said stations. So the judge said, you know, we've done this before. Uh, We're not going to do this again. Um, And he put out a warrant for his arrest. And as of Thursday afternoon, according to uh, some of the trades, uh, U.S. Marshals actually arrested Ed. Now, I don't know if that means he's out on bail in 29 Palms or if he's, uh, if he's in the uh, Riverside County facility. I'm not sure. But the fact of the matter is he's, he's at the end of the rope. They're not taking any, uh, any excuses, if you will. But I, I, was, I did some research back into Ed's lit- litigation history. And even back in 1993, he was suing the Bank of America. He had a couple of bank accounts at his stations in, in, in Sacramento, as the story goes. And one of them was, uh, uh, he, got, he got accused of, of misusing funds, or the bank was saying, you can't do this with your funds. Uh, one fund was a promotional account. One fund was for operating the stations. And he was so litigious with B of A about this that he was finally determined by the court up in Sacramento to be a vexatious litigant. In other words, you know, just just a, a, a nonstop litigant of nuisance legal procedures and suits and everything else. And, you know, gosh, you know, it hasn't changed his spots at all. He's still doing the same thing. We'll have to see what happens. But I got to figure that within uh, within the next uh, next month or so, Larry Patrick's going to have those stations out of Ed's hands and into the new buyer's hands and all of the creditors including uh, Bel Air condominiums up in San Francisco that have the tower rental bill of over $350,000. And so will the BMI and ASCAP guys get paid and uh, off we go. But it's a, it's a saga and a story that just keeps on giving. Vexatious litigation. I love that. Yeah. yeah vexatious litigant. And uh, look that one up. Well, vexatiously, let's hope he enjoys his time in uh, Block 92, Cell 3. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We did, a, we did a quick special on uh, Limbaugh after his death uh, last week, talking about how Limbaugh had impacted the business and what kind of future we saw for AM radio without Limbaugh on the air. And I, we got a couple of interesting feedback. One of them was this could be the best thing that could happen to the, to the radio business that uh, the stations aren't going to have to pay premiere the outrageous fees that they've been paying. Plus, and this is something we never even talked about last week, those stations, in addition to the fees, they also had to run a Limbaugh Minute every morning, Mm -hmm. and they also were required to run literally thousands of spots outside of the Limbaugh show. WRKO, it was reported, ran 3,900 spots a year outside of the Limbaugh show, just to clear the show before they before they finally got wise and, and canceled it. So, and interestingly, Premier has uh, is going to lose some revenue. 
but maybe not that much because he's so expensive and they were, you know, they were selling these things at a buck a spot. So, you know, they may not actually lose much net income. They may lose some gross, but not some net. So anyway, this advocate's point was that there would be an opportunity for new programming to evolve. The new talent will come forth that uh, there will be uh, an entire flood of creativity that'll flow into AM radio and, and that there will be a, some kind of revitalization without rush on the air. What do you think? Well, good luck with that fantasy. Secondly, you know, yes, the stations, yes, the stations benefit because they have all this inventory and maybe there's less buy restrictions because of the no, no rush uh, restrictions that buyers put on it sometimes. The fact of the matter is, is those stations probably wouldn't exist today if it wasn't for Rush. So those stations now don't have Rush or they're going to segue out of Rush, best of, multiple hosts. And then two or three months from now, we'll have a replacement named and you'll see what how Premier redoes their deals. But the fact of the matter is, is that that was the anchor. That was the foundation, you know, of, of these radio stations and their appeal to an audience. So, yeah, you won't have Rush. You won't have any listeners and all those spots you get back, you're still not going to be able to sell because no one's listening and you're still going to get 50 cents a spot and, and pile it in and try to package Hannity, you know, or Levin, Levin. Yeah. you know, uh, I don't think so guys. So, you know, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Oh, great. Now we don't have to pay the fee for rush, but you don't have rush. So really <laughs> what do you have? You know, I think that there's this, Oh yeah, well, we're going to see, you know, talent come in. I mean, rush was, Rush wasn't going to be around forever anyway. So, you know, it, this is just, you know, at 70, he probably was going to do a couple more years, maybe 75 tops. Come on. They were going to have to develop other talents anyway. The, the, the key is to see how that happens and if we do see that. You're not going to see lots of talent developed in local markets for local talk shows replacing Rush Limbaugh. What we're going to see is who, who, who then picks up the, the, uh, the syndication mantle and can carry an audience. Not an easy job. Well, if programming is king, and you know that uh, is debatable, but uh, <laughs> you know there there's a, there's an awful lot of merit to to the concept that in order to really replace Rush, you're not going to replace Rush. Right. Every program, every program star, every real big radio or TV star has has latched onto something different as a court. You know, Stern was was kind of you know the outrageous uh, lifestyle. Paul Harvey was aw shucks Midwest kind of humility and and Limbaugh was, you know, he, he brought out the frustrations of conservatives. So, you know, even somebody like Delilah, let's get this equally balanced here. Uh, Delilah, the heartbreak of life and love and that kind of thing. All of them have a real strong chord, but they're unique. So Paul Harvey Jr. couldn't replace Paul Harvey. And Todd Herman isn't going to be able to effectively replace Rush Limbaugh. So to your point, I think we just have to see who's going to come forward with some kind of a new concept that actually sticks. And that, that applies whether it's radio or TV. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. The difference today is there, the audience is so diluted. You know, when Limbaugh, Limbaugh started uh, in the late 80s, you know, the Internet was fledgling at the very best. And so now, totally different story. The other point that uh, we got some feedback on is who is going to replace Limbaugh. And I think we pretty well covered that. Probably no one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Okay, so iHeart, I made the comment when we started that iHeart drove a spike through their radio stations, right through the heart of their radio stations, if you'll pardon the the illusion. It's a little wow. weird. Wow, that's harsh. It Ooh, is harsh. Wow. But they bought Triton for $280 million. What does Triton do? Well, good question. I think it was $230 million. Oh, but, well, $50 million. Yeah. Either way. You're right. It was $230. I'm sorry. Uh, they do a lot of things. And it's all things digital and, and streaming related and so forth. But it's been kind of this evolution of, of a company. I remember when, when Mike Agavino and Neil Shore started this back in, I don't know, 2004 or five, somewhere around in there. And Mike had just left Cats in New York and or had already left Cats in New York, was, was, was in LA at the time. And, and they got the investments, investment money from uh, Oak Tree to do this. I think that was Neil Shore's uh, efforts because... Uh, He'd spend some time on that on the VC side, and kind of evolved this thing to you know that was all things kind of digital and and digital services, primarily streaming services, right early on, and then they bought Ando, which uh, which got them uh, uh, into the internet radio uh, measurement space, which they've taken full advantage of and are one of the big players in that. And then they also got some ad injector kind of technology when they made that buy, which got them into this kind of programmatic uh, game. But where did you, because you, you were on the station side still then, where, where did you see that going? Well, Triton was doing nothing but programmatic insertion. They began to do programmatic insertion for streaming. So they'd come to the stations and say, you will handle your streaming. And during the breaks, we'll inject you know, programmatic ads. The problem, of course, is there wasn't any demand. So what you got is the same PSAs in every spot break, break after break after break. And iHeart uh, did a similar thing. They bought Jelly, but Jelly just inserted them into broadcast stations not over the air. Not It was not stream. And that was kind of clunky. Google had a, a program a few years ago that that they spent a lot of money on, and it really went nowhere of trying to place radio ads on radio stations through some sort of a very crude programmatic system at the time. So people have been trying this for a while. Now the question is, does this now put iHeart in a position where the radio stations don't matter much? Or at, I would say as much. Um, you know, this is, this is definitely a play for the, uh, the programmatic side. This is definitely a, what is, what is the term now? They've, they're, they're, they're building the most ideal audio tech stack. Tech right? stack, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so iHeart's really stacked. They've got a great tech stack, and that's the new thing now where you pile all this technology on top of each other that it's a one-stop shop. And I think that's, that's clearly what they've tried to do from top to bottom, from end to end. And part of that tech stack is that very low tech thing called radio. Yeah. And then everything else is kind of stacked on top of it. So radio, I think iHeart's used radio brilliantly to promote their app and all their streaming services and all of their, their podcasts and so forth. I mean, everybody wants to, geez, if you, if you can do a deal with, uh, with iHeart for your podcast, they're going to promote the hell out of it on 850 radio stations. And all of a sudden you're going to be a top 10 podcast, right? You know, that's, right. Podcast one does not have iHeart to promote, you know, they've got other associations, but in any case, it's a, it's an interesting play. I hope that Ago and Neil have been financially cared for throughout all this and, and benefit from all this. I think Neil's going to stay on. Ago left, in, I think, uh, like five years ago. Good guys and, you know, good for them. 
Well, the interesting thing is, as they put this together, you know, I, I always worry when when a press release or when your team comes out and and somebody, I'm going to quote this direct directly because this is this is what they're saying about the technology stack. They said Jelly, which is their DSP side, has a digital centric set of user interfaces and algorithms for planning and dynamic ad insertion for broadcast radio. And although Triton has connections with various DSPs out there through APIs, they didn't have their own DSP or user interface. So that should yeah. that should clarify why iHeart bought Triton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just surprised. Scary. I'm just surprised there wasn't anything about an SDK in there. Are you sure there didn't have an SDK in there? Oh no, I didn't see an SDK. Okay. And I'm just I APIs. A, okay, I didn't Got see it. a poop revision either. So you know, <laughs> it, that's in the next sentence. I probably just missed that. Well, I think the thing we're saying is we're seeing it with iHeart. You're absolutely right. The radio performs the base, creates the base, but more and more the selling is going to be programmatic. They're going to trim down the management of teams. You know, you're going to see more and more stations with management out of a central area. Mm-hmm. General managers are going to be gone. DOSs, yeah, that's going to be up in the air. And in smaller markets, you're going to see a lot of that all centralized. I mean, you know, Fresno is going to be doing sales for all of the little regional California stations that iHeart has. So I think we're going to see a big change in that. We'll have to keep an eye on that. All right. RAB and Gordon Burrell every year do a uh, report. Ah, yes. On the on the viability and the stunning intrusions that digital has made. They now claim the average station billed $290,000 in digital last year. $290,000, which, you know, in a lot of ways is about the billing of a, a little taco truck. <laughs> you know, it's not a lot of money. Now, obviously, some of the larger markets build a lot more and the smaller markets build a lot less, but still regardless, the average at 290. So I I just wanted to talk to you about this. That's a lot of work and I am not, I am not anti-digital. I mean, I'm, you know, I I joined Cox 20 years ago to do um, to start digital for their TV stations. And we did digital all over the country with, with Cox interactive media. My question is, how does it make sense for a radio station and why would radio stations continue to do it for that little money? You know, if, if you assume they gross 300,000, by the time you get done paying uh, product costs, sales costs, you, maybe you'd make 10 to 20%. So maybe you make 30 to $60,000 net. a lot of work for 30 grand, a lot of work for 30 grand. So why do they do it? I think they do it because, it's the only thing that cl- the prospects want to talk about these days. So if they're if all they're interested in is digital, or at least that's what the reps here, even though it might just be a, a brush off, is that we've got to we've got to do digital. You know, it, it's like they're doing digital. If if we don't talk to them about digital, they won't do it. Even they won't even do radio. So I think it's a it's a way to keep radio in the conversation with these prospects, these these local and regional businesses, the major agency clients. Or the major clients, the regional clients, and and certainly national as well. But you know they're demanding it. You know they're demanding digital assets as kind of like they used to do for promotions. You know it's like, and we want you know show us what you're going to do for us digitally. You know we want to see what the digital plan is. And so oh yeah, we've got digital. We got a digital plan. Yeah, we'll put that together. It's and I saw this on the newspaper side too. Is that we can do digital for you. It's all one stop shop. 
do digital through, through us. You can do your radio or you can do your newspaper, or you can do your television, whatever it is, but you can do it all through us. And wouldn't you rather have that than have to go out all these different sources and do it yourself? The fact of the matter is the quality of the sales operations and the sales reps have declined so severely that the businesses don't want anything to do with these reps calling on them directly anymore. They buy Facebook and Google and Amazon. They buy all these things without even an interaction with a human. I mean, they just, they just, they're, they're doing it online. They're, they're setting up their, their buy specs. They're putting their credit card in the system and boom, you know, they're doing digital. Now a radio rep comes skippy go lucky in and go, Hey, we got this great promotion for Super Bowl coming up. You want to do the live remote out at, at wild wings and you know, da, 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 and they're going, what? I mean, that's like, so 1995. So I think it's, be, it's just has allowed us to sound current and hip. And to think that we add to the digital conversation, I think for some people, we probably do because they're, they're, they're not that sophisticated. But for the most part, we've seen this growth and sophistication of advertisers that really, really get digital at a far higher level than, than the average you know, radio rep does, which is why the RAB is doing a program today with Microsoft Advertising. Well, Microsoft Advertising is a big freaking competitor, but they're doing an RAB webinar on on the importance of purpose in your advertising or whatever. <laughs> so, you know, so we've, we've sold our souls to the devil when we could have been doing and building this news brand and a digital brand on our own. Now, iHeart, bless their heart, has done that. They've built their, their digital assets in a way that they control them. They can sell them. They can package them. They can price them. And you know, a lot of it works really well, top to bottom. They've got a great tech stack. So, you know, I get that. But, you know, if you're cumulus or if you're just an average, you know, group, a small group of radio stations in Redding and Chico and Red Bluff, you know, you're out pitching Facebook ads. Oh, geez. And, and selling Google AdWords and, oh, you know, and trying to scrape around. In the end, I think that that our obsession that Burrell and guys like that have or, you know, where the dollars are going reminds me of the NTR efforts. Of the, of the late 90s in radio. You know, it was all about getting NTR. We all had NTR budgets, non-traditional revenue. How much did you do in NTR? I, listen, I beat my budget by 15%. Yeah, but you didn't hit your NTR number. Your NTR number was a little low. I'm going, well, forget, screw NTR. I made buy. Yeah, but you got to do a lot of, you got to do more NTR, Keith. You're just not doing enough NTR. And now that's transferred into digital. But, you know, and it's like, you know, you know, you got to do digital, got to do digital. And so we're finding a way to do digital. Yeah, but particularly because of COVID, because of the pandemic, we haven't been able to do NTR. I mean, the events that we've been able to do, but it has, it had the same model. The problem with NTR is the same thing. It's tough to have margins. The risk is high. You know, if you're a small operator, you know, are you going to put on a show and a fair or, you know, some kind of a wedding festival or whatever and, and put the thousands of dollars out? That's high risk stuff. I will say one thing that I think um, I've seen that does make sense. And that is if, if a radio station can create digital that they control, much like iHeart. There's a, a, a friend of mine, Randolph Holder, has got a cluster of stations in a little town in California called Sonora. And he has a website called My motherload.com. It's mining country, right? Mm -hmm. And he runs it like a separate radio station, separate sales staff. They coordinate a lot of content that come from the radio stations, but it is a separate digitally created content, constantly promoted by the radio station, develops great traffic. 
that makes a lot of sense. Bonneville's done it in a couple of markets too. MyNorthwest.com in, in Seattle and KSL.com in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. But they have to control the inventory. And what most people talk about when they talk about digital is doing social media and buying from Google AdWorks and all of that comes with very thin margins. And to your point, a lot of people are saying, why would I buy it through the radio station? I can buy it cheaper just buying it myself. Yeah, yeah. And well, exactly. But I think also, too, the, the, what you brought up with KSL and, and, and King, uh, or Bonneville, I should say, in, in, in Seattle, and Bonneville and Salt Lake, uh, is that they, you know, they, they, did, they, they were content creators first. In other words, they created an audience that happened to be digital, and, and they've done it really well. You know, in, in Salt Lake, they are the dominant news brand. I mean, KSL is the dominant news brand. The, the NBC affiliate for their local news, they you know, always had really big budget news. And KSL uh, radio, same way. I mean, just, just unbelievably strong presence. And also, because of the nature of the, of, the, of the worldwide nature of the LDS church, you have a, a need to, to hear what's going on back at home. You know, what's going on in Salt Lake? Where can I get news about my home, my church, and and the, and you know the uh, Wasatch Front and and it was they've leveraged that brilliantly. Um, in the meantime, you know the Star Tribune, the the paper there, has gone to one day a week print, and even the LDS owned paper, the Deseret News, has gone to one day I think of print. Uh, it's like a weekly now, and th- those those had great news presence there, but they you know maybe weren't that big an audience and they couldn't sell it. So, but God bless Bonneville and KSL, they've been able to do it. Well, digital is going to be here for a long time. So radio and TV have got to figure out how to how to deal with it. And I'd say television in a lot of ways is a little further ahead, and particularly because they, they know how to handle video, and video has become a real important factor in it. And, you know, that goes along with the same thing when you and I were talking earlier today about streaming and the growth in streaming. It's really interesting because the Super Bowl this year had the lowest ratings it's had since uh, in some since 2006. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to do the math because that's a long time. <laughs> and I think the thing that I find so interesting is it also had a huge streaming audience relative to previous audiences. It was like four times larger than last year. And I think this bodes where radio and TV are swapping over the air for streaming. You know, radio is developing these new hybrid radio receivers that will switch from over the air reception to stream which I think is brilliant, except it raises the question, if you can listen to the stream, why would you listen to over the air? Just listen to the stream. But I think we're seeing a lot more of this integrated into it. The team in uh, Oakland that uh, dropped OTA for a while mm-hmm. and, then, uh, and then was going to do straight streaming. Uh, the Cubs have a deal with uh, WSCR in Chicago with Intercom's SCR. But what's interesting is it includes streaming for the first time. Mm-hmm. So they can stream the signal as well as, as broadcast it over the air. I guess my question is, continues to be, you know, how, how do we keep over the air relevant or does it matter anymore? What do you think? Well, if I'm a team, if I'm a franchise, it doesn't matter. I don't care where they're listening. I just, make, I just need to make sure that where they're listening, they can hear me. They can hear it. With the Super Bowl, you've got to do the math. If you combine the streaming viewership with the over-the-air viewership, 
It probably isn't the worst since 2016. It wasn't probably great, but no, it's close to 100 million. Yeah, and I don't know what the, the biggest has been. 110, maybe. But yeah, yeah. So you know, you've got you've got some good numbers. So if I'm if I'm the league, if I'm if I'm CBS in this case, and I'm control, I have the rights for this year's Super Bowl. I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna monetize all of those channels the best I can. My daughter and her husband, my son-in-law, were watching it via Hulu. They watch over-the-air television through their Hulu subscription. That's technically a streaming viewer, right? Totally. But they're watching it on CBS on Hulu. Yes. So it's is that how different is that than watching CBS on Spectrum? It you know, is. You know, that's just how it gets to my house. It comes through the cable or it comes through the satellite dish or it comes through my internet. Oh, by the way, I'm getting my internet through, I'm getting Hulu through Spectrum. It's getting here somewhere and I'm going to watch it. And for those tentpole events, we're going to see lots more of that viewership migrate. Uh, yes, but in the end, does it matter? It's just viewers. Who cares how it gets to the television? It just gets there. And so we're going to fixate for a, a, a lot longer on well, was it over the air? Well, who watches over the air? Over the air, technically, Jackson, means I've got rabbit ears or a television antenna set up there. Yeah. And we know that that's just a minute fraction that they're watching it via cable or now they're watching it via internet. To my daughter and son-in-law, it doesn't matter. They still get it. It's just coming from a different pipeline, if you will. So, uh, we're going to have to start comparing those numbers and adding them up. And I think you're right. I think it becomes irrelevant in the, in the long run about it'll affect rights fees. It'll affect, you know, ad prices and who's selling inventory and so forth. And that'll all get settled down. But at the, the time being, it's the freaking Super Bowl. You're going to find a way to watch it. The other thing that affected Super Bowl viewership this year is the fact that you couldn't have, there was no venue viewing. There were no Super Bowl parties at sports bars. And they, they have a way of rating those as well. You couldn't have a lot of people over. So, you know, you couldn't have a, a big party group. So this is like a really unique year in terms of it was just you and the missus sitting there watching the Super Bowl. And most of the time it was probably just you. Which may explain why we saw the bump in streaming. Because, yeah. you know, you're not sitting around the big screen TV watching it over cable. You know, you're sitting at home with your iPad or you're, you know, you're someplace with just one or two other people. And so streaming makes a lot more sense unless yeah. you've got a Chromecast or something along that line. But good point. Good point. So many interesting things, Keith, and uh, so many people we haven't insulted. We just maybe we should do this again next week. What do you think? <laughs> I, yes, I look forward to it. <laughs> Always. You know that. <laughs> I do. And I, I do, too. Thank you so much. Been a good week. Uh, we will. I think this is uh, issue number or episode number 29. So we are um, we are rocking and I really appreciate you showing up. Have a good week. We'll talk soon. My pleasure. Take care, Jackson. Have a good one. 